Assalamu alaikum jamian. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Um, today we are with the third episode, and it's a pleasure uh, to have with us today uh, Dr. Nahida Ahmed. She is a consultant, psychiatrist, American board certified, and working with Saha. It's a pleasure to meet you, Dr. Nahida. And uh, today we are celebrating the World Mental Health Day, 10th of October. Um, and we would like to take this opportunity to highlight important subjects for the public. So we're going to talk about uh, bipolar disorder. So good morning, Dr. Nahida. How are you? Good morning, Dr. Alameed. Wa alaikum. Wa alaikum And um, mental health has been an important subject to all of us, especially this year uh, with the current uh, circumstances. And uh, we want to highlight uh, bipolar disorder. But before we start out, what is actually bipolar disorder? So if you can tell us. Um, bipolar disorder is a mental illness. Essentially, it comes in the category of mood disorders like depression and anxiety. But this is a more chronic and maybe sometimes in some cases, lifelong illness. Uh, Having said that, it is still a treatable illness and it is something people can live with, can have a very functional life. Uh, many people go on to living very high functioning and high intensity life despite having bipolar. So it's not one of those debilitating psychotic illnesses where you have to retrieve back and you know retrieve from normal functioning of uh, daily activities. But bipolar essentially is an episodic illness. So it comes and goes. If you have uh, flare ups and downs like any other chronic illnesses. Uh, there are three types, in fact. There is bipolar one, which is quite severe form of bipolar in which the highs are so high that you might need hospitalization in some instances. Bipolar two, on the other hand, is more subtle. Many times people don't even know they have bipolar two until they hit a roadblock and they have to go to the doctor and be screened. Many people go on living with bipolar and learn to cope around it. And the other th thing is cyclothymia, which is very frequent and very episodic. So bipolar is basically a very high, high and very low, low. And it could be a spectrum of how high they feel in terms of mania. So the highs of bipolar are called mania, in which we have mood disability, wherein people feel very uh, elated, sometimes grandiose. Um, their thoughts are running too fast. They have high increased um, energy levels. They don't sleep as much. Very impulsive, reckless, driving too rash, um, maybe spending too much without thinking twice. Getting um, when you become really manic to an extent of bipolar one and requiring hospitalization, you can go into the realms of psychosis. In fact, you can become delusional. Um, people start hallucinating, becoming paranoid. So that's quite a severe form. But the more hypomania, which we call, which is a little higher than the normal uh, related mood, is where people are more impulsive and more uh, irritable, and they still have very high energy level. They pace around a lot. Um, so those are the highs. And then the downs, of course, is the severe form of depression, which could vary from the normal low and sadness to severely severe depression, where people are becoming suicidal and um, not engaging in uh, social activities. Thank you, uh, Dr. Nahida. And actually, this brings me to another question, because as you said, that there are grades and it can be severe and it has a big impact and the risk as well, as you said, when they go into low mood and suicidal, that's really risky. Certainly we don't want to, to anyone to reach that state. 
Um, but I want to know how can we spot on someone who's bipolar um, ourselves or in the family? And how does it differ from just like, you know, normal mood swings? Because, you know, everyone has their ups and downs and sometimes they feel really happy and sometimes they feel really low. So how we can know the difference? You know, that's an interesting question because a lot of patients who come into my clinic, they self-diagnose and they say, doctor, I have bipolar because I'm happy when I get up in the morning and I'm sad when I, in the end of the day. That is not essentially bipolar. I mean, we all are predisposed to mood swings. We have good days, bad days. Bipolar, like I mentioned, you have the phases of mania, hypomania, and severe depression. These are clinical classifications of your mood where you are super elated. It's not your, I'm feeling good, I have a good day type of uh, elation. It's like, you know, grandiosity or hyper-religiosity, impulsivity that kind where people are more engaging into a lot of risky behavior in, in certain cases. Uh, if you were to see a bipolar in the manic phase, they would be talking too fast, they would go in tangents, they would not complete one sentence coherently. They jump between topic to topic. Um, their mind is running too fast that they're unable to control it. They're very fidgety, they're reckless, they're moving around too much, they're pacing all the time. They wouldn't have slept for three, four days. This is when mania and hypomania is. Uh, of course, this should be accompanied by a low mood. So bipolar is essentially the pol poles of the mood. So you are on one end very happy, and then once you the mania starts to um, uh, retrieve you go into the depressed mode so it's it's different from a good day bad day up and down kind of uh, thing you you would know when you see a manic person yes and um doctora when when would we expect something like these kind of symptoms to appear does it happen uh, we know that we see in adults but does it happen in younger age and children for example and where is the most common people that get bipolar? Is it as you grow up, elderly? Can you tell us more about that? So bipolar is known to have a bimodal distribution. So oftentimes the majority of the population that get diagnosed with bipolar are either in their 20s or in many cases also in their 40s to have first-time diagnosis. Now, to answer your question about the children and adolescents, it's a little tricky there because there are a lot of changes and it's not so clear cut the criteria for diagnoses. So uh, I know that adolescents get diagnosed and put on mood stabilizers quite often, but in terms of diagnosing a very small child, that yes, this is the bipolar and not a conduct disorder or not a personality issue or uh, you know different types of illnesses that you come in the pediatric realm. It's a little bit uh, difficult to diagnose in terms of children, but adolescents, of course, yes, because of the episodes of ups and downs with relative stability between those episodes. So you could have a manic depressed episode and then you have many days of uh, remission. You would be normal. You could go about your life as nothing is there. And then again, you have another flare up. So it, it is seen uh, teens, late teens also. Um, having said that, I also know a lot of teens who uh, indulge in drugs predispose themselves, especially if they are vulnerable to bipolar already, then they get into the manic phases earlier than the rest. Mm -hmm. that, that's quite interesting because um, teenagers by itself, this is a uh, very vulnerable period. And uh, a lot of, uh, like I'm a, I'm a mother of three and, and we tend to look at teenagers that this is mood swings again, and it is their hormones, it is their change. and 
But the fact that it can happen at that time and that we need actually to realize that this can happen and maybe observe more and, and listen to them more. Um, so, um, Doctora, does it, this also runs in family or does it have a genetic predisposition? So if we had someone in the family who had bipolar, does that mean that there's more can have? Absolutely. I mean, the etiology of bipolar is not very well understood, but in 60 to 80% of the cases that we know of, there has been a family history. So it goes to prove that there is a hereditary um, you know, predisposition. And also uh, the people, the closer the relative, like suppose mom and dad having bipolar increases uh, the chance of the child having bipolar as compared to aunts or uncles or cousins. So the closer the relative, the more chances you are. Um, that, that is 60 to 80%, but there are also those remaining 40, 20%, we don't know why they have bipolar. So it's really poorly understood, but yes, definitely having a relative puts you at higher risk. And like, uh, you know, it's, better to get it tested, it's better to get it get screened when in doubt, definitely uh, clarify it. There are a lot of screening tests with good validity that they can give you, you know, a, a fair amount of diagnostic clarification if this is in fact bipolar or the mood swings. So I would recommend all parents, if they have any slightest doubt of their child's erratic behavior or um, they think that they need some clarification, just go to seek help. Mm -hmm. Thank you, thank you, doctora. And um, I realized that even the screening can happen, not only, they don't need to go directly to the psychiatrist first, the, even the family doctor uh, can support them in this, at least to direct them where to go and to do the initial screening, I believe, right? Yeah. Yes. Primary care physician is your gateway to any health problem, like you have any for mental or physical health. So primary care, uh, person or your pediatrician in, uh, in case of children is a good place to start for screening and asking these questions. Okay, thank you, Dr. Um, also, like I was wondering uh, if there is a gender differences, is it more common in females or males? Um, is there any environmental trigger that can trigger these kind of um, disorders? Like, um, I don't know if maybe a trauma that they go through in their life, or does it trigger these things if they have that predisposition? Uh, like I mentioned, so genetic plays a big role if you have hereditary and some people are more predisposed depending on their environment that they are raised in. Suppose it's a more stressful environment, the more amount of cortisol that your body you know, generates because of all the stress that you're going through, you're more predisposed to having, um, you know, having a manic episode. Uh, similarly, drug addiction, if you are, if at a very tender age, you subject your brain to drug abuse, especially drugs like stimulant drugs, these days, um, crystal meth and amphetamine means are widely misused in the community. So these are the drugs that can predispose to a manic episode. On the other hand, you also have some organic issues like traumatic brain injury, concussions in most of the football players we see. They can have this impulsivity and mood disorder, which um, is actually generated from a traumatic brain injury, but it resembles a mania, manic episode. So there are various factors that throw the person into a more um, you know, manic or uh, in the bipolar realm, not necessarily just bipolar, but it could uh, pave way for developing bipolar. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Uh, this is really uh, interesting and important information, uh, Dr. Anahida. And um, I also wanted to know, like, um, 
as you said that it is a mental health disease um, and it has two phases where there's the low mood and depressive kind like symptoms and then you have the manic symptoms. So it is not like a straightforward depression and it is not a straightforward mania. So when it comes to treatment, um, what kind of treatment do they take and is medication an important element in treating bipolar? Absolutely. Like I said, uh, you know, many people go on to live a very high functioning and uh, high intensity jobs they function into with proper treatment and therapy. Uh, one of the things that people, uh, you know, people, it's it's beautiful that a lot of platforms these days talk about mental well-being. Um, I just hope more people talk about mental treatment as well, because it is just as crucial. Um, we've known a lot of cases, especially bipolar, in my opinion, they tend to be very creative minded, very high functioning, um, based on their hypomanic, probably they, they go into this high energy levels where they can be more productive, more, far more than the normal people, in fact. So if with the right treatment, the treatments usually from the category of mood stabilizers. So if they are on mood stabilizers, they take the treatment well, they go into their psychotherapy appointments regularly, they can have a very functional and, you know, very uh, a normal life and in fact much better productive than normal people in fact in some cases so definitely I would advocate anybody who's been diagnosed with bipolar not to give up on the treatment because this is something that we come across oftentimes in our patients that once they start feeling better and they've had a long remission they say I'm cured unfortunately bipolar is not something you get cured of it's a relapsing and remitting illness it has flares and goes down and in certain other cases, I've also seen uh, people love that uh, that manic phase, you know, especially the hypomanic phase. I had this one patient I recall. Uh, he used to have a very creative outlet when he became hypomanic. He used to paint so beautifully that he would sell for thousands of dollars on eBay. So he would go off his medications, saying, "Just for two days, I'm going to paint and I'm going to make money." And then before you know it, he's made money and thrown the money around and gambling and he's hospitalized. So oh. it's, it's a very slippery slope. Never go off the medication, no matter how tempting it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's quite interesting and, and scary as well, because uh, exactly a lot of people think that if I'm doing well and I'm inspired, why not? But, but then it, it can go uh, in a different way. Um, and Doctora, when we talk about medication, there's always that stigma about the uh, mental health, especially, I mean, mental disease medication, that they are addictive, that they, um, if people get used to them, they won't be able to function normally without them. And especially the addiction and the side effects as well, because, um, you know, we, we hear about side effects, but we don't know what's uh, real and was true. So you can tell us more about the, the addictive part of the mental um, uh, treatment and also the side effects and how we can maybe tapper it. So uh, the fact, those, the myth that all psychiatric medications are addictive is, you know, it's far from reality. It's one of the major issues these days we have with people not seeking help because they're so afraid of the treatment itself. But having said that, uh, and also the fact that, okay, if I go off my medication, I cannot have normal life. I, I always try to give this analog to my uh, analogy to my patients. Like if you had diabetes and you need insulin, you are not going to think about living without insulin because
because of course you cannot live without it, you need it. Similar things with psychotic um, uh, illnesses or bipolar illnesses, you need medication. It's not addictive as much as uh, it is something that keeps homeostasis in your life. So it's it's not a fact that, okay, if you are on this medication, you need more and more and of this. It's just that you need it to be stable. So that that's the part that people often mistake to be addiction. Uh, definitely there are medications in psychiatry which could be addictive, which could be, you know, people can start abusing, but uh, that is not a general rule that does not apply to everything. And, and the fact that many people, when they utilize treatment and have such a productive and such an efficient life, uh, I don't understand why people would uh, discourage each other from seeking that. You know, it's, it's better than being ill and not having a decent life. Mm -hmm. I totally agree, Doctora. And um, this, the sad thing also that we have to understand that globally, it's not only in this region, globally, there's a, a bit of stigma of, about someone who having a mental disease. But the reality is, as you said, it is as any other disease, um, diabetes, um, you know, it's a chronic disease where, where you actually need to treat and take care of. Um, Doctora Nahida, is there are certain signs that we need to look for that will raise our alert and okay, this does not need to wait, we need to go um, to a doctor right now. So what signs would we look for uh, in ourselves or in others and the people that we care about that this is alarming, we need to take them to the doctor right away? Right. So if we're talking about bipolar, like I said, the, the conditions starts usually with lack of sleep. So there is a you know, low, low uh, amount of less amount of sleep that the person is requiring every day, maybe an hour or two hours, but they don't feel lethargic the second day. So they could go for days, like three, four, five days without no sleep or very little sleep, but still not be exhausted. They would have very high energy level they would be very irritable. They're not like, you know, they're not easily calming down. They would do impulsive things like go buy a house out of nowhere or go take a huge loan or empty their bank account. Uh, some people become promiscuous despite being in stable uh, relationships without thinking twice about what they are doing, that impulsive actions. Um, and then there is grandiosity. So many times people in their manic phase are so, they, uh, if you don't know that they are bipolar, they are very hated population because you know they can be really nasty. They could tell you awful things, mean things, which they wouldn't normally do. Uh, if uh, they, they would, uh, you know, they would be very grandiose. They would be like, nobody's better than me. I am the best. And so you would be off put by a person if you didn't know that this person was bipolar when the, you see them in the hypomanic manic phase. So if you are close to someone and you recognize these symptoms, which are away from baseline, you know this person for a while and you know this person is a nice and sweet and cordial person in general, but all of a sudden they have this done and abrupt changes in their mood, that's the time when you say, why don't you get it checked out? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Nahida. And thank you for this important information. I'm sure that there'll be people listening to this and benefiting around. And uh, before we go to the end of the podcast, is there anything additional since you are now speaking to the public, especially in uh, UAE and Abu Dhabi and all around the world? So is there anything you want to tell them today? 
Doctora, thank you so much. Actually, I would uh, want to convey this uh, message to everybody who's suffering from mental illness or people around uh, people who are suffering from mental illness. Unlike any other illness, unfortunately, psychiatric illnesses do have a lot of collateral issues. So if you are, uh, you have, you're married to a person with mental illness or you're a mother of a person with mental illness, it has a lot of impact on on the person itself, despite of not having any mental issues. So taking care of the caregivers and educating them and uh, you know, creating a support group for the caregivers or the people in direct contact with mentally ill is also just as important uh, because they are actually going to be the more nurturing and productive in, in terms of how good the, the patient does. So the, we have to advocate a lot for also reintegration and rehabilitation. Mental illness, uh, you know, requires oftentimes it's not just the treatment and khalas ma salama. You've taken your script, you. But what you do after getting better or stable, what, what you do when your mood is in a, you know, in a at baseline is also very important. So uh, we need to mobilize, like you know, when these campaigns are happening. Uh, People do a great work in talking about mental well-being. I think the focus should also be towards the mental treatment and mental rehabilitation. So I have a lot of schizophrenics who for the longest time were sedated on medications, but when we started doing rehabilitation, they all of a sudden find a purpose in life. They all of a sudden feel that they are productive. They are uh, you know, contributing members to the community. I'll give you one example before uh, we wrap up. We, I, when I was in training, I saw this one case which was new for me. And in the intake file, when I was reviewing the file, there were several admissions in this lady's uh, notes. So she had back to back at least 10 admissions in a matter of two years. And then there was a period of no admissions at all. When I met her and I asked her what happened, how did you find that, you know, that, uh, that cure that you're not, uh, you're out of hospital? She said, I found a job. My job is to deliver flowers from the gift shop in the hospital to the wards. She says it brings me smile. Everybody, every time people see me, they say nice things. And I feel so motivated to take my treatment, to be on time to work and to take care of myself. So I think giving mentally ill people that platform to live and feel productive is also very important. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Doctora. And um, definitely we understand that each one of us uh, needs and, and have the right to live a happy life. And um, they can get all the support they need and they can actually get to set their goal and achieve their purposes in the right way. Um, thank you, Doctora Nahida, for your time. It's really a pleasure to have you. And hopefully we'll meet again soon with uh, other topics uh, for mental health. Uh, wish you all the best and thank you. Thank you all who have been listening um, and happy World Mental Health Day. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks.